Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with Plush Care. Plush Care accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wigovi and ZepBound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Jesus, what a brutal summer. The CBC, the National Post, Post Media Papers, the Globe and Mail, the Toronto Star, the Grid, Rogers Publishing, Bell Media, Much Music, MTV Canada, everywhere, cuts, layoffs, buyouts, cancellations. It's a total bloodbath. And it's not constrained to legacy media, to traditional media. Last week, the score killed its feature writing team. What is the score? You probably know better than me. Uh, Given that I am athletically challenged, both uh, physically and mentally, I I have developed a powerful filter that blocks out all sports information, and there's plenty of it to block. Olympics, World Cup, Stanley Cup, whatever, I have only the vaguest concept that these things are even going on as they go on. Uh, So I had no idea that Canada boasts one of the top sports media apps in the world with more than 5 million active users a month with a humming newsroom of over 30 journalists. It's a company that has actually been growing at the same time that everything else here has been dying. So when news came that the score's writing team got the axe, the response online was profound enough to seep through my filter. I may be blind to sports, but I am not blind to suffering. A lot of people were very upset that these six writers were gone. And I was curious to know why journalists this well-known and well-loved would be shed by a company that actually has more money than they've ever had, that has a growing staff that is actually expanding, that is supposedly doing things right. So in a moment, Dustin Parks, former feature news editor at The Score, will join me. Wait for it. This podcast is sponsored by Audible. Audible is an audiobook company. They have a huge library of 150,000 titles, And you can download one for free right now. One that I think you might like is The Tastemakers by David Sachs. Just came out as an audiobook. This is all about food trends. Why all of a sudden did kale become such a big thing? How did Honeycrisp apples happen? Why are chia seeds suddenly a thing? These things don't happen all by themselves. So in this book, Sachs actually reports on where they come from, who the tastemakers are, who are the people in the food industry, who are deciding what you're going to eat next year. 
Go download it now or any other book you might want to at audibletrial.com slash CanadaLand. Do it now. Want to talk about it? Uh, yeah, you know what? I'm I'm really bad at articulating thoughts like in the open, but if you give me like questions, I'm pretty good at focusing <laughs> it that way. I will ask you questions, and you'll have to uh, explain it to me like I'm a very very slow four year old. Because with, with with sports media, with sports anything, I uh, I don't really know anything. <laughs> okay, yeah, yeah, I'll try. Um, what surprised and depressed me about the news is that, you know, I, I have long been saying, like, we need, like, innovative new media startups in Canada. We need media startups that are not geared towards just the Canadian market because now we can appeal to the world. Yeah. And reading up on the score, I learned that that's exactly what it is. You know, you were not a writer for a magazine. You were not a writer for a website. You were a writer for an app. Yeah, that's true. And one that is successful at doing what it does and at a company that is growing, that went from 80 employees a year ago to, to over 100 mm-hmm. now. And yet what you do, like feature magazine style journalism, I guess it's been decided it isn't part of the picture. Yeah. And I mean, it's, it'd be really easy to moan and, and gripe about it. And it, it definitely hurts. and It hurts a lot. But I can't. I, I can see it from their perspective, and it makes sense from their perspective. Explain it to me from their perspective. Okay. The, the, As best you can. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, the stuff, the stuff that works on the app is the shorter, the smaller stuff, the, the stuff that's kind of mined from elsewhere. It's content that's taken from the latest news, the stuff that you see on Reddit, that kind of thing. That's the stuff that, that draws the traffic on the app. It's the stuff that ends up getting shared on Facebook, on Twitter, through all the social media channels. That's, that's the stuff that's appealing to people. People using the app anyway. They've got a, a newsroom of like 30 plus people sitting yeah. there. Uh, they're not at the game. They're not uh, feet on the ground. They're on. They're online and they're watching the games on, on TV. And they're right. just like combing the internet for tidbits, breaking news. They're, they're, they're re-reporting stuff. They're reblogging. They're aggregating. Right? Exactly. It's, it's a big aggregation. Yeah. I mean, this sort of like fits into the arguments of the biggest detractors of online media, that people aren't interested in in-depth analysis, that the medium favors just short little tidbits of not original reporting. Like, I know that when people sit in front of a computer screen, like I read long format stuff at a screen, on a little screen, especially maybe if this is sort of a second screen, if people are watching a, like a live game, maybe they don't want to read something like yeah. 3,000 words. Well, I think I think it's a, they kind of pride themselves on being a mobile first company. And that's that's where the revenue is. That's where the advertising revenue is. It's, it's kind of funny. I was thinking about this recently after getting laid off because I was there when it was still a television channel. And yeah. when that kind of separated, I remember like my friends and I, we were we were writing as bloggers basically for online and in as a whole, not just not just the app, not just the internet, and not not even really thinking about the breakdown between desktop and mobile. And we were like, man, look at these media dinosaurs going out. And you know what? Within like two years, we became the dinosaurs. It was like we were writing this longer content that's much more consumable on a desktop versus a mobile device. Uh, when were you hired? When, when, when was your team put together? 2010. Our, my team was put together shortly after that. I mean, I, I wasn't in charge of the team until um, about a year and a half ago. Yeah. yeah. So they've got the money to experiment with a bunch of different formats and see what works. Mm-hmm. They hire a team of six of you to write feature stuff based on the reaction when the layoffs came. Uh, I don't know. Like, I guess in terms of volume, the other stuff got more eyeballs. But that's just one metric, right? There's engagement. Exactly. and And like... The reaction was really profound and emotional. People like that's what caught my attention to this was like people were like 
are you kidding me? You guys are doing some of the best long format sports journalism out there. And so is it possible that the score was making kind of like a an impetuous or, 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 yeah. or a data-driven decision just based on like uh, an apples to oranges comparison? Like if I, I, if I, if I, if I compare your 3,000 word article to some little blog post that took 30 seconds to write or, you know, whatever, three minutes to write mm-hmm. and the other one got more clicks and, and you're selling clicks against display ads, okay, get rid of the feature guys. But like, are you missing some of the value there? Yeah, no, like definitely like I've like in defending my team throughout the last year and a half, like I, I would look at the shares, the amount of shares that per article, we, ours would always be higher. Ours would be always, always be more significant, but you know, we cost a bit more money than the, than the average news editor who's working there. Yeah. Um, there's that. There's also the, the, the resources, right? We're turning out one of those articles. And at the same time, news editors are turning out, you know, 10 to 12. It's it's a matter of numbers. I understand. I understand. What is a news editor? Is that a blogger at the score? Uh, no, it's maybe what used to be called a blogger. Uh-huh. They're the people who are sort of mining for content online, mining on Twitter, on social media, looking for kind of the breaking stories, watching the games and and sharing the, the biggest moments. But let's speak plainly about this. To get somebody to do that, you can get any sports fan who has journalistic training, you can hire a writer out of school to do that job. Yeah. To write like magazine length pieces that are in-depth, that are mul- multiple sources, multiple interviews, you're going to have a more seasoned writer doing that. Yeah. No, which ex- explains that, that the this, additional expense. Exactly. That was the setup that, that was there. And we had we had a year uh, since we moved to uh, the new office, since we were kind of in this arrangement where it was definitely like feature writers not bloggers, and there's a newsroom that was semi-separate, but all under the content umbrella. And uh, it just, it didn't work. It didn't work for them. Did you know it wasn't working? Did you know that this was what was expected of the work you guys were producing and you were falling short, or did it come as a surprise? Um, Like, I, yeah, that's a very good question, because I, by the simple metrics, like, I could see that they were generating a lot more page views, a lot more tap-throughs on the app, a lot more views online, um, a lot more shares overall. But I could also see that that we were doing quality. And if you talk to my supervisor, he was always happy with what was being done. There was never any issue as far as the quality of the work. And that was kind of, that was my understanding. My understanding was that we were something of almost a marketing device for the score. We were putting out quality content. It's almost like a, like a boutique operation, a side operation as part of the overall news service offering. Yeah. Um, and I felt like we were doing really, really strong work. And I was really, really happy and really satisfied with it. It's funny, too, because I had just gone, through, gone over the performance reviews of all the writers uh, like two days before uh, learning about it. And it was all so positive. I was so happy with the, the development of the team as a whole. And yeah, it was uh, it was disappointing to find out that it would yeah. no longer be. I mean, you know, we're up if they're experimenting, then experiment, and you, maybe you don't know what you want out of out of it. Yeah. But, but you know, I w- if I were you, I would want to know like, hey, is my job to compete with these bloggers? Mm-hmm. Um, and if that's the case, then you would rethink what that long format German journalism would be. Alternately, if that was the mandate, was like, look, we do not expect you to get the same amount of traffic as these guys. What we expect you to do is write think pieces that everyone's going to be talking about. That's going to be the prestige boutique product that is a loss leader, but that is uh, branding this whole outfit. And we only have to hire six people out of a newsroom of of 30 plus to get that. So then your mandate is like, you better out of every three or four articles you write, have one that really has a profound impact on your community, then that's the metric. But you want to know what the criteria is. Yeah. And to to be fair, I feel like maybe it wasn't um, expressed outright, but I definitely found it was like that. That That was our goal. That was our target. That's what I was preaching to my team. And yeah. And it, it just didn't work. I think, too, um, there's elements that they kind of found. They found new ways to share on Facebook that were very effective for them. Yeah. And that kind of cut out the the need for us as marketers of their product, I find. Um, uh-huh. Yeah, they found new ways to what share. What ways? Um, 
Facebook recently changed their algorithm setup for sharing content, and they made sharing content for content providers a lot, lot easier. They start using hashtags. Um, I know they made it kind of a bit more like Twitter, and um, that that had a profound effect on our traffic numbers. Uh, our number of Facebook shares went through the roof after this happened. It helped you. It helped us. It um, helped the, the, us, meaning the us score. Meaning the entire yes, right? It helped them. I'm still right. Yeah, no, that yeah, happens. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, how did it help your content of your team? Um, it helped to varying degrees. We got a little bit more eyes on our stuff, but it was. I think what they saw was that they can they can share the things that are being written by the 30 people in the newsroom, and it's getting just as much traction as the people who are writing the, that they're paying more to write the six people that they're paying more to write a larger amount. So are they just running like a, a basic data-driven rundown of like this many views equals this many impressions equals this much in display ad sales, and then we're going to make decisions based on that? Is that where they're at now? Um, the- I wouldn't say wholly there, but uh, that's definitely what they're leaning to. I mean, like they're they're putting... They're they're thinking along those terms, and I mean they're a smart company. That's that's what they have to consider. I, I mean they're not running a charity case for writers, and I, I understand that. Let's talk about what they are doing. They're selling two million dollars per quarter in ads, which uh, you know it depends how you look at it. It sounds like a big number, um, and it's up sixty percent from a year ago. And yet, when you consider that they're like the number three thing in the world of what they're doing, mm-hmm. uh, and that they've got an audience, you know, five or six million in newspaper terms, that's a pittance. And they're losing $2.7 million every quarter because they're spending almost $5 million a quarter. When the numbers are that big, like your team, I'm going to make a, a wild estimate and say that your whole team costs somewhere around uh, half a million dollars a year. Um, yeah, probably less than that. Probably less yeah. than that. So what is everybody – they got 100 people in there. 30 of them are, are journalists. Is everybody else there like a computer programmer? <laughs> there are a lot of developers there for sure. Yeah, um, yeah. There, an entire section of the office is set aside for development. Um, yeah, it's a it's a modern company in every way. Is is that what a modern company is? <laughs> a modern media company is a company without journalists. Uh, in a way, it's, it's it's starting to shape up that way. But uh, no, they still have uh, thirty writers on staff. Uh, I think that they're talking about increasing that number too. Um, yeah, it's just it's they're reorganizing their their resources. Yeah, <laughs> help me understand. Now let's get into the sports stuff that I don't get. Um, I turn on the score when I'm watching a game. Okay. No, I'm asking. Oh, yeah. Um, no, it's what it does. It offers uh, live updates on all the scores. Yeah. Uh, that's probably the most popular aspect of it. Um, but also for every sport, we have a, a news channel associated with it. So if you're if you're looking at the scores uh, one tap away, it will be a stream of news. It's all the top breaking stories, what's trending on Twitter, what's being talked about on television, all those sorts of things. So it's not that dissimilar from anybody else with a special interest. If, if I hop onto Twitter or Facebook and I'm just like, I've got a list of people I'm following who are exactly. in, in a, you know, a media news, it's, it's just a way of – but you've got an audience there that's stats-obsessed, that's uh, score-obsessed, that's data-obsessed. Yeah, I mean, yeah, it's I, – I, I think that we're finding more and more, that we were finding more and more. That it's the uh, the stories that, that appear on Reddit, like the kind of oddities, those sorts of things. Those are the most th- th- that's what gains the most traction as far as news content goes. Weird um, stuff. Yeah, the weird stuff, the wacky stuff uh, in sports. And you know, I was thinking about it in terms of what we offer, and it's almost as though we offer what what we as the feature writers offered was something a little bit more than that. And it's kind of to the people who have like a, an unhealthy relationship with sports, like the people who don't really care and who kind of are like, oh, that's kind of an interesting story, and they they tap through. Those are the people with like a probably a far more healthier relationship to sports. You're saying that you appeal to the unhealthy? Yes, yes, definitely. <laughs> <laughs> I can't speak to your work, you know, uh, with any kind of like I I, I I read some of your stuff today. I found it uh, compelling and, and well written, and and I found myself able to read, you 
you know, a lot of it I just glaze over because it's about stuff, you know, I I can't even uh, begin to relate to. But, you know, an article about the, you know, exploitation of like young Dominican kids into baseball that was like as good as any magazine journalism I've read recently. And I'm like, if I cared about sports, I kind of think this is the kind of thing I would want to know about, like like the story behind the story, the people behind it, the the, the politics and the characters that that fuel this thing. I don't know. Is that unhealthy? I mean, that, isn't that what like Sports Illustrated has been about for? And I'm asking because I don't know. <laughs> yeah, um, I think that you're seeing that uh, you, you, there are some success stories with writing like that for sure, and it's not a totally dead art by any means. Uh, there's still a demand out there for it. Um, Grantland's a great example. Yeah, right, right. But, yeah, and that's like a crossover into arts and culture and politics yeah. with like kind of a sports mindset at the core of exactly, it, right? Yeah. So that's not like some weirdo niche thing. No, it's not totally weirdo niche. But I do think that in going for a broader audience, that stuff that you don't really need to pay for kind of falls off the side because it's not as appealing to the people that they're targeting. Yeah. And that's that's the end result. I And I understand that. I mean, it like I said earlier, it, it hurts. It hurts to lose your job, obviously. But at the same time, I can understand it from their perspective. And I, I, I can realize exactly why they made that move. I, I don't know that you need to take it personally. You know, like if, yeah. if it's like if you make really great burgers and they decide that they're a pizza shop, you know, it's not like, but don't you like my burger? We don't make burgers anymore. I, was, I read about this today on like my like kind of a personal note. And I was thinking like, it hurts a little bit more, I think, as a writer than maybe someone else, because uh, if you're worth anything, you're putting yourself into your work constantly. Yeah, you're not making burgers. You're exactly, making, yeah. exactly. You're, you're putting yourself out there a lot. And when someone says, oh, you know what, like what you're doing isn't really worth it anymore for us. It's kind of like it's not just what you're doing. It's actually you. And that that, that kind of stinks. But I don't know. It's, it's, it's a part of the business. I mean, yeah. when you choose to go into journalism or sports journalism, especially lately, um, you risk this. This is a. Uh, this is what happens. You live by the live by the score, die by the score. Yeah, right, right. I'm just realizing as I talk now that uh, my one buddy who actually runs a burger shop would be very <laughs> personally offended if anybody didn't like his burgers. But you had like a lot of dudes' dream job. Yeah, right. Yeah. Like I could see why it would hurt to lose a job like yeah, that. No, like it's that a that job. is like in a lot of like rom coms, like you know, <laughs> the guy's like an architect or a sports writer. That's the job for the dude, right? Yeah, totally. You had the dude's job. No, I remember. Um, I kind of fell out of touch with uh, one of my relatives, and uh, in the meantime, since I fell out of touch with her and got back into touch, I, I had gotten married. I'd gotten this new job. Yeah. And uh, I remember talking to her, and I was like, "She's like, oh, how are things going?" I'm like, "Oh, pretty good. You know, works this. Uh, got married. It's all good." And then she's like, "Whoa, so you have your dream job? You got the dream girl?" And it kind of dawned on me. I'm like, "Wow, this is actually uh, pretty good. Yeah, yeah." Yeah. I, I feel like personally invested in something that I've never felt the slightest bit of emotion towards because <laughs> if the takeaway from this is uh, that there's no place for like thoughtful journalistic analysis in a new media app environment, then that has ramifications beyond just what the score is doing or, or what the sports world is doing. That's That tells you something about how people read on mobile devices. It tells you something about the kind of information people want. Like I kind of hope that they – I mean I don't know. I, I, I've been in other situations where I feel like management's made a terrible decision uh, in, in laying off the people that I interview <laughs> on the show. Uh, in this case, I just kind of hope that they made a terrible decision. Yeah. No, I understand. I mean there are ways to deal with it. I think you're seeing uh, the New York Times, uh, how they've been doing with their app. They've kind of divided it, right, between news stories and commentary, and you can have either or. Yeah. And that seems maybe that's that's a smart way to do it in the future. And I, I do think, like, uh, 
I, like to me, I never really understood that you just read bite-sized things on uh, your your mobile device. I don't. I don't at all. Like yeah. my, my commute in is it's all Instapaper, the stuff that I like put yeah. up there before I left. And I'm like, okay, I can read this in transit because I've got the time uh, at a doctor's office, whatever, dentist's office. It's kind of replaced that mag, that old magazine, the ratty magazine that you pick up. You're on your phone and reading and there's time for it. I, I'm not worried about that. Uh, yeah, I I feel like generally positive. At the same time, I feel a little bit hurt. Yeah. I feel like when we have these conversations, we often talk about it as if there's like, well, you know, the the, the industry, uh, the market can't support this kind of journalism yeah. or like it's just true. We've learned that it's true. It's like, well, actually, you're talking about specific people. They're called advertisers <laughs> who are obsessed with metrics and eyeballs and clicks, don't particularly care about the quality of the content. They just want to know how many people are seeing their ads. And maybe they're valuing that kind of data over more valuable, like where does the value actually lie when you consider how many people ignore display ads and the level of engagement with different kinds of content? Are we acting as if this is just the reality of the world when in fact we just haven't educated advertisers and they're just, they don't understand the difference between one kind of click and another? I mean, because that is something that took a lot of time to develop in the print world where like you might be getting fewer readers in the New Yorker, uh, you know, in the Atlantic Monthly than in People Magazine. But depending on who you are, you might want to have your ad in the Atlantic Monthly as opposed to People Magazine. That's totally true. Yeah. And and I'm sure like uh, just because I was actually in charge of uh, like the the custom content that we created for advertisers as well. Uh And I know that that's going to continue because we have contracts lined up or the score has contracts lined up. Um, so I'm sure that they're going to still uh, attempt to do to do longer form writing. I just don't think it'll be as as often as frequent as you know twice a day in each vertical. What's your opinion of that kind of uh, sponsored content, like native content for the advertisers? I mean, they, they're really, really excited about that right now. Does, does it have like the, I, I feel like any kind of scheme that is like relies on. T- a certain element of trickery. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Actually, to be honest, though, um, I found it uh, a lot more effective just to be incredibly open with it right from the beginning. Um, this is I got no problem with that. Exactly, yeah. yeah. I, I think if the reader knows, and then I guess, you know, the question is, if the reader knows that, then cool, there's no lying going on, but do they then not read it? Yeah. I, I mean, that's the risk that you run, but yeah. I'd much rather just ethically be upfront about it. And that's, that's something that we instituted uh, right away, saying that, you know, this is presented by... This is custom content, just so you know. Yeah, it's, it's part of it. Yeah, for sure. Hmm. Um, but I, I, as to its effect, effectiveness, um, there are a lot of people who are a lot smarter than me, who are probably looking into that and analyzing it. But uh, yeah, I, I don't, I don't know. To, I always feel like there's kind of like a in in anything like tech, um, things happen so quickly, and it seems that it seems as though the advertisers are constantly trying to catch up to what's happening. So planning for the future in like a, a mobile device only seems like a risky business to me. Yeah. Like it just seems like something can happen. Something can start tomorrow. That's even more effective at delivering news at, yeah. at things. And you know what? And advertisers might be slow to change. They might be dumping all of their dollars right now in mobile, but what's going to happen tomorrow? What's what's the next thing? And, People are constantly asking that. They're constantly trying to figure that out. It's very faddish. And, and you know, I, I read like what the CBC is like, we're reorienting this entire enterprise towards mobile. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, it's so weird that you went from being completely <laughs> retrograde in your digital policy to suddenly jumping on <laughs> what everybody's talking about at this particular moment. I mean, a couple of years ago, it was the tablet was going to save magazines. Right. And it didn't. Nope. You know, that, that like people always think it's a one-to-one transition of like, well, we used to read a magazine. Now we'll pick up a tablet. Like, it'll be something else. I, and I wonder about that, too. Um, okay. Like, I get that 
a long format article on a little phone is not the best fit. But if your product is not necessarily 3,000 words, but your product is depth and analysis and intelligence, have we yet to kind of create the new form? I mean, you know, there's been experimentation uh, with multimedia formats and uh, a lot of interesting stuff with visualizations and data and and a blending of words and images and pictures and video. Do, Do you feel like there was a missed opportunity there to, rather than kind of just throw out the whole idea of longer coverage, um, find ways to make it like a series of clicks rather than one click on one, you know, getting more bang for your buck, attracting more people based on the format, especially when you've got so much developer talent uh, working Yeah, there. I mean, their focus too has been on mobile. Uh, that's their mobile first company. And so uh, the feature writing, like I even referred to it as kind of like the ugly stepchild of the company long before this. It was kind of a... It, it it stuck out like a sore thumb. Nothing was really being developed for us specifically. Um, yeah, the, it was a mobile first company, and they were focusing on delivering the news through the mobile device. Do you leave this feeling, if I were running the shop, this is what I would do differently? Or similarly, hey, maybe I wasn't a fit there because they're trying to do a very specific thing. Yeah. But my dream job would be to get those guys back together or some other, you know, and, and like, here's how I would do it. Like, it, it, do you leave feeling crestfallen that like, maybe there's no place for me in, in in this industry or for what I do? Or do you feel that like, it just hasn't been done right yet? Yeah, I, I definitely feel like, um, I, I feel very understanding. I think it's probably credit to the people making the decisions that I totally respect their decision. And I, I don't feel as though I'm, I've been pushed out in any way or, you know, I don't feel hard done by. There's a little bit actually because uh, we just we just finished our World Cup coverage and I spent a lot of time and like I put a lot of myself into that. Yeah. And then to kind of like two weeks after that, get this happened to me. I'm like, ah, that hurts a little too. But overall, like um, really great people there. Uh, really smart people, too. Um, yeah, I don't I don't feel hurt by it as far as in, in terms of quality of writing. I I would love to get that team and, and be, you know, do something with them, but on the end that actually makes money off of that, I would not even know where to begin. Yeah, that. And so I, I, I am, I am leaving kind of wondering about my future in sports writing because it's like to be really honest, it's sports. I mean, it's so meaningless. Like maybe ta- like the tabloid journalism maybe a little bit less, maybe a little bit under it, but it's in the end, it's completely meaningless. It's it's at best a distraction, right? And why? What do you want to get distracted from? Like. Yeah, so I I don't know I I'm gonna get in trouble if I agree with you too much. But, no, no, you know, no, as, no, as a non-sports fan, so I'll uh, no, yeah. I mean, look, people, it, uh, whatever else you want to say, uh, it, it is the obsession of millions and millions and millions of people, mm-hmm. right? And uh, who 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 think and, and talk about little else, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah, I know. It's, it's so if that doesn't work, I don't. I mean, if sports is is like if there's no future in sports journalism, I don't know what like um, niche, niches like you know politics or media or news like you know those are smaller areas that's, of interest. That's kind of like uh, if if I look at this from a big picture, it's like. You know, I can talk about the quality of work that I put out there. Yeah. And I can say all that. But in the end, it was about sports. And I mean, like, there are people who are losing their jobs writing about much more important things. There are foreign correspondents writing about wars who, you know, don't have an outlet anymore to write from. And that's 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 a lot more concerning to me. Than... Oh, you're talking about, like, global importance stuff of, like, yeah, the, yeah, the loss to the world of, yeah, I don't know. I mean, uh, everything is relative, I suppose. But, yeah, it, I mean, it, it is a tricky thing. As a writer and editor, for you to su- suddenly be put like asked this question by me of like, well, you know, what business model will support what you do? Like that was never really the role of people. Like your role is to write engaging stuff and do good journalism yeah. and make people think and talk. You know? And I think if if we use um, if we use uh, Grantland as an example of, of a successful 
I don't know, enterprise in that way. Yeah. Um, I think we can see that kind of as a boutique part of something larger, there's probably room for success there. Um, but yeah, you have to find someone larger willing to do that, willing to experiment, willing to put that out there. Yeah. Yeah. I don't really have much doubt that when the dust settles, there will be a place in the ecosystem of people thinking and talking and writing about sports for the kind of stuff that you do. It just sort of sucks to be like looking for a job uh, at this moment when the dust hasn't settled and nobody knows what it's going to be or who's going to do it or where that's going to be. Yeah, no, definitely. I remember uh, we went out for drinks uh, yesterday or two days ago and it was uh, it's kind of like, wow, I do not want to start pitching articles again. Like, yeah, right. It's hard just, to go back. Oh, man, that's hard. <laughs> that's, that's not something anyone wants to do. Yeah. Do you have any thoughts about what's next? Um, I'm going to take a few weeks and kind of reconsider, uh, just, I'm going to go into like that cave of solitude kind of thing and, uh, think about what I want to do. Um, yeah, yeah, I'm not, I'm not worried for lack of options. Uh, yeah, yeah. We'll see. We'll see what happens. Well, bask in the tweets. There's, uh, they're, they're not meaningless. People cared about what you did and they, and they expressed it. And yeah, that, that was really, really meaningful to me. I think, uh, cause we were all together when we announced it on Twitter mm-hmm. and just to see, uh, the outpouring and of support and people are very, very generous, very, very nice to us. And uh, yeah, I think it was uh, the most positive response I ever got to anything I put on Twitter. (laughs) You only find out when you're gone. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Thanks for talking with me about it. I appreciate it. My pleasure. Good luck. Thanks, man. That's your Canada Land Show. I hope you liked it. You can email me anytime at jesse at jessebrown.ca. I read them all. I respond when I can. I am also on Twitter at Jesse Brown, and the website for the show is canadalandshow.com. Hey, why not go get a free audiobook right now at audibletrial.com slash canadaland. Special thanks this week to Jacob Saltiel and to Steve Lauderante for helping me understand sports and the business behind it. I make this show with Christopher DeMello. Next episode's up on Monday. If you like this show, recommend it. In France, in the 13th century, a teenager ascends the throne. He seems calm, collected, and as it happens, drop-dead gorgeous. But looks can be deceiving, and no one is ready for the death, destruction, and chaos that lie ahead. Step inside the reign of one of the Middle Ages' most cold-blooded rulers on This Is History presents The Iron King. Available wherever you get your podcasts. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. Hi, I'm Jesse Cruikshank. Jesse Cruikshank. I host the number one comedy podcast called Phone a Friend. Girl, let's phone a friend. Not only do I break down the biggest stories in pop culture with guests like Dan Levy and members of InSync, I do it with my own personal boy band singing jingles throughout. Because it's my show. It's your show, girl. New episodes of Phone a Friend. Yeah. Drop Thursdays wherever you get your podcasts. So work it, girl. Yeah, work it. Okay, that's enough. Acast helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. Acast.com.